Luke chapter 15. Now before I read, we're going we're gonna to start with a reading from the, from the parable of the prodigal son, or the story of the prodigal son. Many of us are familiar with this story. A lot of us have heard this before. Very powerful story. A lot to be drawn out of scripture here. A lot of lessons to be pulled from. Many a messages could be preached out of these verses. What we're going to do today is we're going to start in Luke chapter 15 in the, in the story of the prodigal son. And I'm just going to kind of open it up there and build some truths, build some, some foundational points. And then we're going to move on from there into some other scriptures and some other things because I really want to teach a message or preach a message today about, uh, I don't know how I would call it, just kind of like the effects of sin. And, uh, and so as far as preaching and teaching go, this is just a little bit of, uh, maybe some of you know this and some of you don't, but when you, when you preach a message, there's, there's really two ways that you can do that. Um, there's what's called expositional teaching, which is I could take the Bible and I could go through a series of verses or a story and I could just, we could continue to break that down verse by verse, almost word by word. It's awesome. I mean, I love preaching that way. We've done that many a times where we get into a story, you know, out of the book of Joshua or the book of Nehemiah. And it's like, there's just, there's just a whole piece of revelation wrapped up in the expositional breakdown of the passages. Okay. But there's also another way that's called topical teaching or topical preaching, which is where you take some truths, you take principles, lessons from the Bible that are really threaded throughout all of Scripture, and then God gives you revelation where you can really build a case or you can, you can teach in a way where you see how all of the Word really emphasizes and drives home these principles and truths. Okay, So that's what we're going to do today. We're gonna, it's like a topical teaching where we're going to talk about the effects of sin, and we're going to begin by looking at the parable of the prodigal son, and I'm going to draw some really important things out that I think we need to grab first before we get into the rest of the message. So, looking at Luke chapter 15, verse 11, and then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough uh, and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. 
Father, in Jesus' name, we just commit this to you today, God. We just give this service, we give this time to you, we set this time apart to hear a word from you, to experience and encounter you. God, that's what we're here for. I ask you to just give me the ability to preach your truth, preach your word in a way that it goes forth and transforms lives. In Jesus' name I pray today, amen. Amen. So, like I said, there's a lot of really awesome things that we can learn and that we could, we could kind of go down the path of in these, in these verses here. But where I want to start today is I want to look at, at, at the response of the father to the, son, to the sin of the son. Because really what this parable is designed to teach us, the father in the story really represents our father, God. And the prodigal son, in a way, is, it's really all of us. In the sense that the prodigal son, he's, he's living under the father's roof. He has relationship with the father, and then he chooses to go his own way. And he runs, and he begins to get caught up in a life of sin. And he goes, and he chooses a path that's not the path of, of his father's. And then he returns back, and when he does, obviously the father embraces him. So we look at this, and we see that God, our father, when we sin against him, and we know that we've done wrong, that God our Father, He's a loving God and that He welcomes us back and that He embraces us in His arms and He, he treats us like royalty. And this is really important because for a lot of people, they have a wrong view of, of God and how God views them versus how God views their sin, right? And, and we have to understand, we, we need to realize that all of us Whenever we receive Christ as our Savior, we are forgiven of our sin that we're born into this world with and that we know we get to be in eternity in heaven with Jesus one day. But that doesn't mean that we are perfect people from that point forward who are going to walk a sinless life. In fact, we know we aren't going to. And so when, when people come to God, I've seen this so many times and it's one of these big things that I, you just really have to get in and tackle with people is, is they love God. They've received Christ as their Savior. Oh, I believe in Jesus and everything. But then, you know, they mess up or they, they, they commit a sin. And then they have this completely wrong view of God, like God hates them and God doesn't want anything to do with them and that they're unworthy of God's love. And, and all of a sudden, this wedge and this distance begins to grow between them and their father, God, because they don't understand the way God views sin and the way he views the sinner. And it's such a huge thing because it results in a, in a life lived of condemnation where people feel literally condemned and they carry this weight and this burden on them in their life where they just walk around with this shame. And, and the, the problem is, is that now it's like they're being robbed of the life that God has really died for them to be able to have. They're being robbed of their purpose and their destiny and the great promises and things that God actually has for us. And the enemy, he knows this, okay? Now, whether it's, and, and I've seen it different ways. Sometimes people have bought a false bill of goods because they've heard some fire and brimstone teaching or they've been preached sin so hard and so, you know, wrong that they think that they, they've adopted their views that God is like this evil, you know, God waiting to just punish them at any drop of a hat. And sometimes it's just the fact that they, the enemy is just, he's lying to them and he's deceiving them. Regardless of what the case is, the devil would love for us to think this way. He would love for us to, to see God as this mean, awful God that's just ready to just punish us at any given second over any little thing we do wrong because he 
he knows if we feel that way, if we think that way about God, he'll be able to distance our relationship with us in Jesus, and thus he'll be able to rob us of the great purpose and plan that God created and fashioned us for, which is a kingdom-building life. The devil knows that, and he'll do whatever he can to keep us from it. He understands if you call Jesus Lord, he may not be able to have your soul in the lake of fire, in, the, in hell for all eternity, but he's going to do everything he can to rob you of your purpose and your destiny while you walk the face of this earth so that God's kingdom can't be advanced any more than it already is. All right, so now that we see that, we understand that what, what does the father do? He embraces the son. Is, is this insane or what? Like in a good way. He says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't just welcome him back. I mean, put a ring on his finger. I, go get a robe and put a robe on his back. Get some sandals on his feet and go prepare the best calf that we have. We're going to feast and we're going to be merry. You see what God does? Listen, oh, what God does when his children come back to him, when they recognize the error of their ways and their sin, when they handle it the right way and they throw themselves at the feet of Jesus, God throws a party when his kids come home. There is celebration in all of heaven whenever one sinner repents and he is saved, the Bible tells us. God throws a stinking party because he's not mad, he's not angry, he hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. And he is a forgiving God. The Bible says his forgiveness is endless. It's unlimited, right? That doesn't mean this is a license to just sin, but it means that we need to get the right view of God. Just like the prodigal son eventually saw, his father wasn't going to be mad when he came home. He wasn't going to chastise him. He wasn't going to send him back out and say, you have no place here anymore. You were here before and you screwed it up. No, he brings him in and he puts him, get this, okay, this is huge. He puts him right back into a place of royalty where he was the moment he walked away. He restores him to his right position of heir as a son. He doesn't ask him to grovel and work his way on back up to earn something that he could never earn to begin with. Hallelujah. So I want to do this. I want to walk you through to, to, I think I'm going to call the message the fork in the road. And the reason is, is because when we, when we come to a place where we sin, where we screw up, there's literally two ways that we can begin to go with how we approach and how we handle our sin. When we moved over here, before we bought our house, you know, we spent, I used to, it was so... So much fun. We would drive around on Sundays and just nice days and we would just drive the country back roads and we would just look at all of the beautiful scenery and look for places for sale and we just had a blast. Didn't we, babe? I mean, it was so much fun. Such beautiful landscape around here. And, but every now and then we would come to this point where it's like the road was dead end. It would stop and it would just like go left or right. And the road you were on, it's like, it's done. Now you're either going to have to go left or right. And you know, Katie and I, being the competitive nature that we have, we never agreed on which way we needed to go. Now you need to go left. I'm pretty sure it's right, you know. If she said right, I'd say left. I, look, she ran track. She was a sports player. I played hockey. I just, I don't know how to get away from it. We just want to win, and it comes out like that. So anyway, we're at this fork in the road, and you got to choose which way you're going to go. And ultimately, maybe not the case around here, but in this terms of the sin, only one way is going to actually lead you into the right path. The other way is going to lead you down the wrong path. So you can choose when you reach this point which way you're going to go 
once you've, once you've aired, okay? So the first example is the bad one. That's Katie's side of the road, okay? That's the one she takes. That's her fork. So we'll call this Katie's road. Okay, no, just kidding. So when we, the first thing is, is when we sin, what can happen is that we can begin to have guilt set in, all right? See, can you see this okay? So sin, can we turn these lights right here down a little bit? So they can see this just a little bit better. So the first one is that sin leads to guilt. Now, I'm not talking about guilty like, hey, I, I, I'm guilty of what I did. We know that. Like, I messed up? That's, that's one thing. I'm talking about this kind of guilt where we begin to, to feel like we're just this terrible person. Like this terrible person. And God's mad at us. He, he hates us, right? And then what happens is, is when this guilt starts to get a hold of us, our self-image starts to deteriorate. And we begin to not see ourselves. Here's the lie, right? The great deceiver. The Bible says that there is no truth in him, the enemy. He's the greatest liar of all. So he begins to tell us and show us a picture of ourselves that is not the picture that God sees of us. So we begin to have this guilt. It overwhelms us. You can keep him right there because we're going to keep going. And it begins to overwhelm us. And we get this terrible self-image. And we begin to hate ourselves. We begin to see ourselves not as God sees us. There's like almost like, and I'm just, I'm going to be hitting home with some people here today. But I've seen it. Look. And there's almost like, I'm just, I'm just disgusted with who I am. That's not the way God wants you to live. God sees something beautiful and amazing. And if we see something like that, we're not seeing what God sees. Can we agree with that? So we, it goes to guilt. And then the next thing that happens is that guilt, and this is continuing down this path, right? If we keep progressing down this way, is that guilt leads to shame. Guilt leads to shame. And the way I would look at shame is like, it's like throwing a bunch of weight in a backpack and carrying hundreds of pounds around with you that you don't need to be carrying, and you're trying to go climb cliffs and mountains with it. It serves no purpose. There's nothing in there that's going to help you, and yet you're, you're, we're choosing to put that extra weight on our back and carry it with us. And we go around with all this shame, and then what happens with shame is that it causes this great deal of embarrassment. Not only are we disgusted with ourselves, but we think everybody else is disgusted with us too. And so there's this other lie. There's this whole other level of the lie. You see, he's a great liar because he progresses it. And so then we think that everybody else is disgusted with us too. And there's this great embarrassment. And then it results in concealing and hiding. Now all of a sudden, our, our, our motives are about trying to conceal and trying to cover and trying to hide this thing of sin that's happened because we just, we, we don't want it to get out. And we believe this lie that people are already disgusted with us. But if they really know all of this, they're really going to be even more disgusted with us. And there's this shame and that we feel that God sees us this way too. And then the last, and then ultimately what shame does is it leads to condemnation condemnation actually there's one more after that shame leads to condemnation and condemnation is like we've, we just feel we're totally unworthy we're unlovable I've screwed up man God can't there's no way God can't forgive me no God I understand some people but you don't know what I've done man trust me do you know what Paul did I mean do you know do we all know what any of us have done really you know and we think that somehow we feel condemned when, when a building is condemned what is it saying Put a slap, a sign on the front of the door, building condemned, saying it's not fit for use. It's not fit for use. Inaccessible. We think that when, we, when we're condemned, we think we're unfit for being used by God. God couldn't use me, man, no way. I've stepped outside that zone. No, I'm, I'm just too far gone, you know. 
and this condemnation. It's like this, this whirlwind now is just swirling inside of us. And the devil is having a field day. It's working. Yeah, he's loving it, right? And God's saying, oh, if you only knew. If you only knew. If you only knew Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? There is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. If we're feeling this way, this condemnation, this sense of unlovable, unworthy, unusable, it's a, it's a lie. It's right there. It's, it's in the word of God. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If we feel condemned, it's because we believe a lie that is being told to us. And that's not what Jesus has died for us to have. That's not the life he's lived for us to have. And the problem with condemnation is now it's like, man, you just, you, you just think it, whatever you do, it's like there's this black cloud hovering over and then God's just ready to shoot a lightning bolt down at any time or something. Everybody have a hailstorm last night? Was that crazy? And see the lightning all over the sky or whatever? Kids were like, I don't want to go outside. I'm going to get hit by lightning, you know? And so we, th we think, I'm like, no, you probably won't, but, you know. So we think, <laughs> it's funny, like, the stuff that kids say. They're like, oh, the lightning hits wherever there's water. And I'm like, well, it doesn't actually hit wherever there's water. It just can hit where there's water. It's more likely, to, and never mind, you know, it's just like, six-year-old, this, okay, yeah, you're right. Let's stay inside. So, but, li but listen to this. In Romans 8, I want, I want you to uh, hear this in the message version. I don't know if we were able to get that put in there or not. But listen to this in the message version. We were, awesome. Thinking of condemnation, the message Bible calls condemnation like a black cloud that's hovering over, right? With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of death and sin. It's like a black cloud, condemnation just swirling over us. And it's a cloud that we create for ourselves that God didn't put there. And we think that somehow, man, we're just, we're just in this place now where it's just all about punishment, man. It's just all about... You know, us getting what we deserve and that we're just unworthy and unusable. And ultimately, condemnation leads to death. It leads to death. The Bible says that the wages of sin are death. And that's true. Because if, if we're born into this world in sin and, and someone never receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then by the scripture, we can say that the, the, that person spiritually is dead. And they will, they will be in hell for eternity. That's what the Bible says. So, so the wages of sin are death. But when we receive Christ as our Savior, and we are made alive in our spirit, but we continue to sin and go down this progression of sin towards guilt, shame, condemnation, that ultimately the sin that we continue to walk in will bring death to whatever it touches. It will bring death to whatever it touches. You take a relationship and, and one of the people in the relationship continues to walk in sin. Eventually, it's going to destroy the relationship. You take someone who's addicted to, to drugs or to alcohol, and they just continue to do that over and over again and just continue to walk in that sin. Eventually, it's going to destroy that physical body. 
It's going to break it down. The wages of sin are death. And if we continue down that path without some sort of recourse, without some sort of other fork in the road that we can go down, ultimately it's going to bring death to whatever it touches. But let's take a look at the other fork in the road. My side. <laughs> My side. Not Katie's. No, I'm just kidding. This, that's bad. Gosh. On the other side of the road, first of all, sin when we sin, instead of being caught up in all of this guilt, sin leads to conviction. Sin leads to conviction. Ah, oh, man, I sinned. I did wrong. I know it. I know it. I've messed up. So there's this conviction that we start to get. And a conviction is a result of a tender heart of someone that's walking closely with God. Because here's the deal. Conviction, conviction comes by the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and conviction happens when whatever we're doing is conflicting with the word and with the truth that's in us. It's like, oh, something not right here, you know, conviction. Holy Spirit speaking to us. We're walking with God. We're taking His Word in. We're knowing His truths. And now all of a sudden, there's something in our life, our actions, our behavior, our attitude, our thoughts is not lining up, man. It's not connecting. There's conflict between truth and between what we're doing. And there's this conviction that starts to set in. Thank God for conviction. You know, the Bible says in Ezekiel, it says that God took, he's, this was a prophecy about what would happen after those received Jesus the Messiah as their Savior. He said, I'm going to take that heart of stone out of you, and I'm going to put a heart of flesh inside of you. And that heart of flesh, that new heart that we have when Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us, it's a tender heart, and we can, we can receive, and we can feel, and we can have conviction because the, word, the, the, the Holy Spirit is able to speak to us, and He's able to put His Word inside of our heart. All that grows in soft, good tissue, right? And so we have this, this tenderness about us as we're walking with God where we can sense and we can feel when we're doing wrong. And that conviction sets in because it conflicts with what the Word says. And then conviction leads to repentance. Repentance. Straight up. I'm sorry, God. I screwed up, man, and I know it. I screwed up and I know it. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. I'm sorry I chose a path against you because ultimately it was wrong and I know it. And there's a difference, guys, between godly sorrow like that and, and worldly sorrow, right? Worldly sorrow is like, I'm sorry I got caught, <laughs> you know? Like my kids, whenever we find them, I mean, Abby, she's got cookies hidden under the couch and stuff, and she gets caught, and then she's bummed out, you know? But I <laughs> sent her. Anyway, little sinner. <laughs> ah, get her up here. She needs to hear this. So, so there's a difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. And godly sorrow is like we, we, we've convicted and we've embraced that we've sinned. And now it's this genuine repentance, this genuine, you know, I'm sorry, God, I've, I've messed up. Please forgive me. And I'm convinced, I mean, I, you know, you can't judge a heart. No one can, only God can do that. But I'm convinced that when, when someone's walking with God, you can just tell because there's that genuine sense of sorrow, godly sorrow and repentance when they realize that they've been convicted in the error of their ways that they've somehow done something that's against the will of God. And it's there and it's the best, it's such a great place to be because when we're there, then God's forgiveness, right, Repent, after repentance comes 
forgiveness and we can receive God's forgiveness freely. The gift of grace, man. Jesus died for us to have it. You can't earn it. You can't, you can't do something to merit it. You can't go through a bunch of steps to climb up some ladder to get to where God is, to get that forgiveness. It's just free. It's grace. Thank God for it. And when we receive that grace, can I tell you something? Here's the great truth is that a lot, you know, when we receive that grace, that it actually it empowers us and it strengthens us to not want to go into that sin again, even more so than we were before. So this is where that whole deal of like, well, if people just preach the grace card all the time, then they're just going to live in sin and just think they can be forgiven. Well, in theory, I understand what you're saying, but in reality, if someone's really living under grace, they're not going to want to keep sinning. They're not going to want to keep doing it because they understand. And when they receive forgiveness and they realize how unworthy we are of forgiveness, but we get it freely, it's it, you live with gratefulness. You live with gratefulness like thank you, God, oh my gosh, that you forgive me, and, and, and I just want to serve you, I just want to please you now, help me to do that, help me to do that, right, in repentance, listen, it's turning away from the sin, but when you turn away from something, you're also, what, turning to something else, it's turning away from the sin, and turning to God, that's what it really is, it's a turning away from, and the, the thing that we did is turning to him and then we receive his forgiveness and then this is beautiful ready forgiveness leads to restoration restoration oh, what is restoration you ask listen to this first john chapter one if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Thank God for this truth. Because what he's saying, is when, when, the, when you read what the Bible means in the Greek by cleanse, it means to wash away any intermingling of filth. It's literally like, God just cleans us up and wipes us clean again when we repent, when we repent and he forgives us and he restores us to a place of righteousness meaning right standing with him and when we're restored to a place of righteousness we are empowered to live with strength from that point forward the, the father when the son came home he restored him to a place of royalty unmerited and unearned and he immediately placed him right back where he was when we repent of our sin we realize the error in our ways. We're convicted. We repent. And God forgives us. He restores us, guys, to the place that we were before. It's like he wipes us off. You ever remember those old Tide commercials where you put the shirts in the dirty and they come out and then Tide is like super clean white and the other one's still got a stain on it? Listen, Tide ain't got nothing on the blood of Jesus, man. I mean, the blood of Jesus just washes us clean. He restores us to a place of righteousness. We're empowered to live from that moment on out of authority and out of strength. No wedge, no gap, no distance between us and our Father God from that moment. Because sin has been washed clean. It's been made, made gone. It's been, we've been wiped off. It's been blotted out. And I love that. Because a lot of times what people have, they have this view. Listen, it's like, everybody's familiar with AA, right? 
And A is great. I'm not knocking the program. But when, when we're talking about sobriety, here's how that works. You get, you get a couple days under your belt, and you say, I got 10 days. I got 30 days. I got 90 days. I got 180 days of sobriety. It's fantastic. You screw up one time, and the clock resets. It starts over, right? I mean, we know. It starts over. Oh, I just lost all that I worked for. 180 days is gone. Oh, that was six months. And then you think, forget it. I can't get back to that point again. Now I gotta climb this hill. I just been knocked all the way down. I gotta climb this hill for another six months and then just get back to where I was before. We have this misconception that when we sin, that that's how God deals with us. Okay, yeah, you messed up, all right. You're, you're sorry, so let's work your way on back up now. Let's work your way back on up to this place where you can get back to where you were with me before. And then we can start to move forward from there. For the blood of Jesus. Thank God for restoration, unearned and unmerited, because God says no. When we repent of our sin, He is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, meaning He restores us, strengthens us, and puts us right back up to that place of royalty and right standing with Him that we were before. Nothing is lost. Now, there may be consequences in our relationships, in our life, horizontally from the sin that we've walked in. But vertically, with our relationship with God, we are right back to the place that we were before. Empowered, strengthened, sons and daughters, royalty and heirs, walking with victory in our lives over everything that the enemy has. Just as effective, just as sharp, just as powerful as we were before. And I love this. I mean, you have to get this. You have to, because I've heard, man, I've heard so many messages preached on like sin and, and it's the whole first road you know it's the sin leads to guilt and conviction or, or condemnation and death and shame and all and, and it's it's true but like don't stop there and not preach this other half that i just told you about i mean what an injustice to the body you know i mean it's like you pull back the aim and shoot way you miss the mark i mean you, they don't even know about the other side of this thing Yes, there's wages of sin lead to death, but when we repent of our sin, we restore back to a place of royalty and righteousness. Hallelujah, and God forgives us and he empowers us to live that way from that day on. We could never, guys, we could never make it and live in the authority and the strength that we're called to live in if we had to reset the clock and work our way back up the ladder every time we screwed up and missed the mark. Because I tell you something, it's going to be resetting every day for all of us. Ain't none of us going to make it, right? I mean, who's worthy to throw the first stone? None among us are free of sin. None among us are going to walk a perfect life. This is, the, this is the fork in the road that God has given us to walk down so that he can keep us strong, keep us effective, keep us cleansed, keep us holy, and keep us right in his eyes and before him and right standing with him. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Put that other slide. This is the... Just the two alongside of each other, right? I'm telling you, get close with God, man. Spend time in the Word. Pray. Let God speak to you because when His truth keeps getting down inside of you, that conviction just rises up in you and anything you do doesn't align and agree with what the Word of God and the will of God is for your life. Get it in you. And you won't have to straddle this fence and just constantly be teetering on both sides of this thing. And then the last point that I want to make, back to this thing about horizontal relationships. Listen, you got to understand, okay, we're relational beings. We're created to have relationship 
among people. We're created to impact other lives. This vertical thing, we get this right, right? We're forgiven. God restores us to a place of righteousness. And we're right vertically. Listen, when we sin, sometimes it's just damaging ourselves. But ultimately, it always damages those around us in one way or another. But, but sometimes it's directly damaging. And our sin tears and wounds and cuts at the relationships that we have in our life with other people who we care about and God's placed in our lives. And I need, and I got to tell you that you, you got to make right with those things too. God forgives you. He restores you to a place of righteousness. But as far as the relationships in our lives are concerned, we need to go the extra mile and we need to make reconciliation. When there's tear, when there's wounds, when things have been damaged and relationships in our lives, reconciliation is needed. And it happens through just a confession of sin or, or asking for forgiveness, admitting where we've wronged. It's so important because it gives God the ability to bring back and restore those relationships in our lives that He's placed with us. Even though God has forgiven us, we still need to do everything we can to make sure that the relationships that have possibly been damaged by the error of our ways are submitted to a process of restoration and reconciliation. And I love it. Can I tell you this? God's so beautiful. He heals and He restores and He brings back to health and vitality those relationships in our lives when we just, we go and we do with a heart for God what we were supposed to do and make right of those things. Listen to what the Bible says. It says in Matthew chapter 5, it says, if you bring a gift to the altar and then you remember that your brother has something against you and you just leave your gift there and go your way. Go reconcile with your brother and then come back and offer your gift. James says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Psalm 32.3 in the Amplified Version says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all the day long. You can't carry this stuff. You're not made to. You're not capable. God's given us a solution. He's given us provision the Bible says Jesus was a propitiation for our sins. He was, he was the sacrifice. He was the substitution for that. It's free. It's grace. Receive.